This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Yes, a round of applause for the chef. This was my family's Thanksgiving almost 10 years ago in 2013. And a round of kudos to all those who participated and made it. My family loves Thanksgiving. It's the one time of the year we all reliably get together. As far as I can remember, the 2013 Thanksgiving was a pretty typical one. The usual crew was all there, aunts, grandparents, and friends. And the menu had lots of our old standards. There was turkey and stuffing, cranberry sauce, sweet potatoes, and a Pepto-Bismol colored savory jello mold known infamously as pink thing. Just don't knock until you've tried it. And then, to top it all off, way too many pies. Give or take the jello mold, my family's Thanksgiving menu is pretty typical. But recreating this exact meal in, say, 50 years might be a challenge. That's because environmental changes are going to have a big impact on what we eat. In fact, it's already begun. We're already seeing the beginning of some of the climate change impacts manifesting themselves around the world. That's Monica Zurich, a senior researcher at the University of Oxford working on food systems. With a huge drought that you guys are facing in the U.S. with all the fires in California and, you know, all the floodings that we now see around the world. So we are already seeing the first impacts of climate change on food production. And these impacts are going to become more unpredictable as we go into the future, particularly from 2050 onwards. She says the environmental changes will likely make some Thanksgiving staples more expensive or harder to find. Things we eat all the time now might become special treats for holidays. Or our food might be transformed by technology. From The Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Alex Osola. Today we're talking about the future of the Thanksgiving meal, what's likely to change, what might stay the same, and what we can do about it. Grab your fork and let's dig in after the break. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. Like a lot of us, Jonathan Deutsch is particular about his Thanksgiving menu. I love to host Thanksgiving because I get very cranky if I'm not eating the food that I want to be eating on Thanksgiving. But unlike many of us, he brings professional skills into preparing it. He's a chef and professor of culinary arts and science at Drexel University. I have it down to a science now. So I typically start with turkey, butcher the bird. So I do the legs and thighs and wings, coca van style. And that also doubles as the gravy then. 
and then I do sort of pounded herb butter roulade, roasted breast, and cranberry sauce, of course. And dessert? Dessert, we typically have pumpkin pie. There's a recipe for a cranberry curd tart that's really delicious, so that's on the menu this year. First of all, this meal sounds amazing. Very jealous of all of your Thanksgiving guests. You're invited. Um, (laughs) Oh my God, thank you so much. Even if our cooking methods are a little less sophisticated, most of us have dishes that end up on our table year after year. But as environmental conditions change, the kind of food we eat will change too. Here's what the Thanksgiving meal might look like in the next few decades. Ooh, turkey. Dibs on dark meat. (laughs) The big sort of vulnerable question, I think, in terms of the future of food is that animal protein, the turkey both symbolically and from a culinary perspective, the the centerpiece of the meal. Outside of Thanksgiving, this focus on animal protein is slowly changing. A poll by CBS News last year found that more than a third of Americans were cutting down on the amount of meat they ate. In the fine dining world, vegetable forward is in vogue. Chefs are finding new ways to make plant-based foods even more delicious and innovative. Like the three Michelin star 11 Madison Park here in New York, which went fully vegan last year. Brandon Lewis, a chef and professor of sustainable food systems at Johnson & Wales University, says that's a sign of a broader cultural shift. They made a major bold move and they're on everyone's radar. And so what they're saying is it's okay to give up meat and to go with a plant-based diet, to go out to eat and it be a special occasion and you don't need to have meat to be the star and role of the plate. And that means it can percolate into the home so you don't have to eat meat every night. There are a few reasons why people are moving away from meat. One is ethical concerns about how animals are raised. Another is in an effort to mitigate climate change. Because raising livestock to become meat emits a lot of greenhouse gases. Monica Zurich at Oxford again. About 30% of global greenhouse gases are related to the food system. At least half of that is thought to come from livestock. Particularly ruminants, meaning cows, goats, sheep, that eat grass and in that digestion process basically burp out the methane. Livestock also use more land and water than plants because we have to grow the food to feed those animals. Mario Herrero, a professor of sustainable food systems at Cornell University, says there might be better uses for that land as the world population grows. The thing is that if you're using prime land for growing feed, that prime land could go for growing a range of other things that could feed humans directly. That means meat is probably going to get more expensive in the future. Because of these emissions, some academics and activists have begun calling for a tax on meat. Countries like Denmark, Sweden, and Germany are already considering it. But that doesn't mean you'll never have turkey again. Shelling out for a turkey on Thanksgiving might be worth it for your family. And in a few years, that turkey on your plate might not come from an animal raised on a farm. Lewis says instead, it could be cultured in a lab. When it comes to the lab-grown stuff, where we're doing muscle cultures in petri dishes, growing little hamburgers, the idea is in the future you may have something like a little Ziploc bag pouch that you buy online or on Amazon, and then you put it in an incubator, and next thing you have a a turkey breast in two weeks. Something like that, way down the line. Okay, so while your Thanksgiving might still have meat in a few decades, Deutsch says chances are your diet the rest of the year will include less meat than it does now. I think one of the things we'll continue to see is meat celebrated in moderation and as a special occasion. But Zurich says maybe the centerpiece of the Thanksgiving meal doesn't have to be animal protein at all. 
Or it could be something completely different where people, instead of a turkey, I don't know, have, have now a meal around beans, for example, which is also very traditional as a crop to the US and Central America. And so it might move into something quite different 50 years from now around what we consider a Thanksgiving centerpiece, so to say. Sides, my favorite. Give me a nibble of each. Stuffing, Brussels sprouts, sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top. To me, sides are the best part of the meal. Fortunately for people like me, all signs are that the ingredients for these sides will still be around in 2072. Some might do okay. Scientists say sweet potatoes, because of their natural biodiversity and heat tolerance, could withstand a warmer climate. Okra, a crop commonly grown in the south of the U.S., is already being planted further north. And mushrooms? They don't need much space, and they could actively trap carbon. But other sides might look a bit different. Zurich gave this example. So let's take corn on the cob that a lot of people think is very traditional part of the Thanksgiving meal, yeah? Maize is a crop that needs a lot of water. But, of course, if you keep on having droughts happening more and more often, it might be more difficult to grow a crop that actually does require a lot of water. We will not be able to keep producing certain crops in certain places due to climate change. Another of those crops is potatoes. Like corn, they need a lot of water, and they can be vulnerable to drought. Scientists have created types of drought-resistant potatoes, but for now, they're still experimental. Another dish at risk? Stuffing. There are lots of variations, but the key ingredient is usually bread. Mario Herrero thinks that could be an asset. Stuffing could end up being one of the most sustainable things in the future. Especially if you think of stuffing as a circular product coming from recycling of existing food, we could end up with a really low environmental and health harm product. But getting that bread in the first place might be a struggle. Researchers warn that the wheat it's made from might have some unpredictable yields in a hotter future as the area where it grows changes. Some scientists have suggested that instead we could turn to breadfruit, a starchy fruit native to Southeast Asia. Another thing made of wheat is pasta, the kind you might use for mac and cheese. Multiple studies suggest the durum wheat needed to make traditional varieties of pasta is getting harder to grow. And while pasta made from durum wheat will still be around, it'll probably be more expensive in the grocery store. It might be more economical to use pasta made of something else, like chickpeas or lentils, which are already on the market. I can eat some pie. Gotta leave room for dessert. Whether you load up on pumpkin pie or indulge in a post-meal cheesecake, chances are your dessert uses some form of dairy. According to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, the dairy industry contributes about 4% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Herrero says that's because of the cows. Dairy cows are ruminants, and they actually produce a significant amount of methane, but they also use a very significant amount of land for their feed, especially, or for grazing. And that means those creamy products we love might be more expensive or harder to find in the future. Let's take butter, a key ingredient in most pie crusts, cakes, and almost anything delicious. This year, we saw a butter shortage, in part because there are fewer cows and they're producing less milk. That drop in production can be caused by environmental disruptions like wildfires, which are becoming more frequent. And experts warn that means it's probably going to be even more difficult to get our hands on butter in the future. 
So people are pursuing plant-based alternatives. We've already got oat milk instead of cow milk Mm. and tofu instead of cream cheese. Mm. And now plant-based butter is starting to catch on. Herrero says those products might even get better in the future. Butter is delicious. I would imagine that in 50 years, we will have a range of products that mimic much better the taste, the consistency, the way we use butter in different dishes. I can imagine that we will also end up with some synthetic versions. So, 50 years from now, our Thanksgiving table might look a bit different. But just how different is still up in the air. It doesn't just depend on the climate. It also depends on us. That's after the break. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. If I asked you where you got your turkey this year or where your veggies came from, what would you say? No, I I don't mean which store. I mean where in the world or where in the country or even which individual farm. Pressure on the food system makes these questions a lot more urgent in general, but especially for Thanksgiving when we're buying a lot of food for family gatherings and maybe some ingredients unusual in our day-to-day diets. Monica Zurich at Oxford says the food system is a huge global machine. With food system, I really mean all the different activities needed from producing crops, transforming them, transporting them, retailing them so that they end up as food on our plates. So all these different activities has become a very complex web of actors involved in all of that. The sheer size of this machine can make each of us feel small. If these tomatoes were grown in Chile and shipped to my grocery store in Brooklyn, does it make a difference whether or not I buy them? But our individual choices really do matter. A lot of what people call the power in the food system has now moved over towards the consumer side in the sense that, you know, retailers try to cater to what consumers want and are basically driving what farmers produce and where the food comes from. So with the choice that we make of what we have for breakfast in the morning, we are also very much influencing what is happening in the food system. One thing we can do, buy things like heritage breeds of livestock, poultry, and vegetables. Yes, they're often more expensive. But Brandon Lewis from Johnson & Wales University says those breeds do something super important. They increase biodiversity. That helps ensure that our farms don't become monocultures, which are more susceptible to disease. The potato famine is a great example of that. They were just growing one or two types of potatoes in Ireland when the blight happened. And had they had one of the other varieties of potatoes growing, they wouldn't have had a problem. So we don't want to put all our food types in one basket. He says we can also make an effort to buy local produce, which might mean shopping with the season more in mind. Less distance to truck food reduces emissions. Plus, it supports good farming practices in our communities. We call it like face certification. If you know your farmer, then you have a much more direct line to understanding how they grow things and what's put into that process. Sean Sherman is a James Beard award-winning chef. For him, 
buying local and seasonal ingredients is no stretch, especially for Thanksgiving. I just like kind of grabbing things on the spot and creating a meal with what looks beautiful and fresh at that time. And I'm just kind of having fun with it. We always have access to really beautiful wild rice from Minnesota. We have like cedar trees in the backyard. A lot of these ingredients will end up on the menu. So I just like to use stuff that's around us too and make the food taste like where we are as best we can. I think we can still have some of those kinds of flavors and things that people really are comfortable with. But I think people can be creative and can come up with new recipes. Sherman's attitude towards Thanksgiving has evolved too. He's a member of the Oglala Lakota tribe and a co-founder of the indigenous food collective Natives. As he wrote in a 2018 op-ed in Time, at first, Thanksgiving made him bitter. He thought the inaccurate story of the first Thanksgiving was just a way to paint over the violence colonizers inflicted on Native tribes. Now, though, he's embraced the holiday as a way for families to gather and celebrate. People really do like that traditional sense of things of like they've been doing the same recipe for so long and they look forward to that. That's good. You know, that's the way people like to celebrate with each other. And Food is just the love language that people are utilizing when they're doing that. And more than that, studies have shown that food plays a key role in culture and identity. Experts are already predicting that climate change will put many elements of culture, from our ecosystems to our national monuments, at risk. But Sherman says tradition might also hold some strategies for mitigating climate change. We really should truly try to understand the past, especially the indigenous histories of peoples who lived here for countless generations and were able to live so symbiotically with the land space around them. And that's how we start to at least take the first steps towards sustainability. We have no choice but to be adaptive and to continue to move forward. So if you take a look at the knowledge base of indigenous peoples, then you can really understand that there is a lot of valuable knowledge. So what will Thanksgiving be like in 50 years? Our plates will probably be piled high with more plants. You might have turkey and pie, but they could be made in new and creative ways. The experts I spoke to hope our food system overall will look different too. I can only hope that there is land access for people to grow lots of food. I hope that we can teach our families how easy it is to have a nice big garden and get rid of our lawns and just put food everywhere, basically, right? Environmental change will force us over time to make these changes. But, you know, not all of that might be that we're losing something. We might also be gaining something new with that. And, and I think this is how maybe we have to rethink the traditions that we currently have. I think looking at bigger picture policy issues like how different ultra-processed foods are regulated um, is going to be a lot more effective in uh, making the kinds of changes that we're seeking. I'm hoping to have a lot of my favorite Thanksgiving staples in the future. I'm hoping they're local or regionally sourced, and I'm hoping to do things that will help protect those for future generations. But togetherness and family, the true essence of Thanksgiving? With any luck, we'll have that in spades. Does everybody have pot? I'm going to turn this off before somebody says something. What parts of Thanksgiving do you hope evolve in the next 50 years? Let us know. Email us at foepodcast at wsj.com. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was reported and produced by me, Alex Osula. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Jessica Fenton is our sound designer. And Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. 
Thanks for listening. Oh, I'm so stuffed. I gotta lay down. <laughs>